Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, I'm joined by ESPN's Kevin Seifert to break down the 8-1 Minnesota Vikings and whether they're any good. Plus, we get to some of the officiating controversies over the past week and why the NFL may or may not consider changes to the replay and officiating policies. But first, I want to tell you about another podcast, which is now available twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, The Mina Kime Show, featuring Lenny, a podcast hosted by ESPN NFL analyst Mina. Oh, I know Mina Kimes. I forgot. Of course, I know Mina Kimes. Mina Kimes is a friend of our show, a friend of mine. Of course, you're listening to Mina Kimes already. But if you're not for some crazy reason, Mina Kimes is hosting The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny twice a week during the season here she's joined on tuesdays by another friend of ours dominique foxworth and then later in the week she's joined by different expert guests to preview the most intriguing games that is the minute time show featuring lenny listen wherever you are listening to this podcast all right now here as promised joining me on the bill barnwell show someone who can solve the most difficult question known to NFL fans. Are the Vikings any good? Joining me to talk about that is the man who covers the Vikings for us at ESPN, covers the league as a whole, does a great job doing both. It's ESPN's Kevin Seifert. Kevin, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Bill? I am good. I am flummoxed, I think is the word (laughs) I would use thinking about this team because the Vikings, of course, you look at the record. It's eight and one. I know I'm not saying anything that isn't uh, public discussion here. The Vikings are eight and one. Their record, even before last week, was a little questionable. It seemed like they were flying underneath the radar at the very least. And then last week, we get that crazy Bills Vikings game where the Vikings are down 17 points. They come back to win. There's a couple of fortunate breaks, you might say, for the Vikings along the way. But, Kevin, let's just start with the elephant in the room. Are the Vikings any good? Yeah. I think, you know, we've been asking if they were for real for a while, and I think eventually it becomes um, moot unless you're trying to decide if they're going to win the Super Bowl or not. Mm-hmm. And when you when you get the record to where it is, um, that speaks to something. I, I always view the NFL almost every year as – like there's two or three teams at the very top who are head and shoulders above everybody else. And mm-hmm. as the year began, you maybe put the chiefs and the bills, uh, maybe another team or two in that category. For sure. And there's like two or three teams at the bottom where you say like, it's not even worth paying attention to. They're terrible. They're going to be in the top of the draft next year. And then everybody else is in the middle. And like, there's very little variance to me amongst most of those teams. And so I think the Vikings have emerged at the top of that, second the very large second tier mm-hmm. of nfl teams and so that's kind of where i'd put them like they you know there are, have been very few games if any um maybe the first game of the year against the packers where you could say their offense played better against the packers defense or the, their defense played better against the opponent's offense um, for the most part they have won almost they have won all of these games by adding up all the really small parts of a game that decide outcomes and dominating in those areas. Um, you know, and, and, you know, we, we never use, and that's one of the reasons we never use like yardage to decide if an offense is really good or, or defense is uh, really good because uh, you know, there's a lot, there's lots of 
other ways to win games besides just having your offense roll over the opponent or having your defense just stop uh, an opponent. And so mm-hmm. um, that I, I think that the reason that they have won so many games is those, you know, sort of, you know, amalgamation of all the small things that, that you can do to win games, even when your offense isn't necessarily having an advantage over a defense or vice versa. And so that's where I would put them. I know it's a long winded way of, of not answering yes or no, but I, I think they, I think they're at the top of that second tier of NFL teams right now. And, and, and that's a pretty good place to be. I think that's a, that's a pretty nuanced, thoughtful answer. You know, I think the idea that they don't have that killer thing, that one weapon that's going to, uh, overturn things, which maybe they do in Justin Jefferson, certainly. And at the end game, it felt like he was unstoppable. Right. But, you know, I think having little advantages uh, across the field does add up over time. And that's not the most sexy or exciting way to win games, but it does, you know, certainly feel like this could be the case for this Vikings team. Um, in terms of the Bills game, we'll, we'll start with focusing on that Bills game. Um, is there something you saw in that game? and how they performed and how they came back that told you something about this Vikings team that you didn't know heading into week 10 and into that Bills game? Well, you know, they've come back um, in many, with I think it was four or five uh, mm-hmm. times prior yep. um, in the fourth quarter when they were trailing, but it was against teams like the Lions and, and the Bears and the Cardinals. And mm-hmm. so, um, and it was, and all three of the ones I just named uh, were at home. The other one yep. was in London, so a neutral site. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when they went down 27-10, you know, I, you know, even ha- after having seen them come back in a bunch of other games, when you're down 27-10 to 10 on the road um, to the Bills, um, you know, I thought it was over, mm-hmm. you know, and I think most people did too. And so what I found out is that um, their ability to come back from that much of a deficit um, wasn't just a function of the other team melting down. Mm -hmm. They did some really, um, that was really the first time where I saw them um, do more than just, you know, throw to open receivers who had against broken coverage against (laughs) the Lions or um, take advantage of, of, of a bears uh, receiver who was catching his first uh, catch of the year and strip mm-hmm. the ball from them and end the game that way. Um, I mean, Justin Jefferson, especially and cousins making those throws like that. Those were things that they, they took that game from the bear, from the bills as opposed mm-hmm. to accepting it from, from them. And that mm-hmm. was the first time I'd seen them that, and that sort of took um, it to another level. I mean, even the, the Josh Allen fumble at the goal line, um, you know, they had, they actually work on that, um, in practice in their situational really? practice where they talk about, okay, we're on the goal line and I'll do it like every day for 20 minutes, but they, they talk about like, they're, they're you know, that, you know, the situ- here's the situation. You can't take a safety because you know, the score, it would be, it, it doesn't work out with the scoring. Um, they, they're backed up to the one inch line. They have to get the ball out. Here are the things we're keying on. And so they they had guys diving. They had certain guys diving and they had certain guys looking for the ball. And so you want you, you, if you watch that replay and you see um, Josh Allen fumbling and you see Eric Kendricks, he's like standing straight up. He's not mm-hmm. diving. He's looking for the ball and then he sees it and he jumps on it. And so that not to say that like they orchestrated the whole thing and that they, you know, that but like there was a part of it just because he fumbled doesn't I mean, the recovery is the important part. Yes. And so. 
and 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 the Bills had the advantage to, to you know a knowing there was a fumble mm-hmm. uh, for before the Vikings did, and b it was on their side of the of the line of scrimmage, um, and 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 that was a situation where the Vikings had to make a play to recover the fumble and not just get lucky. And so I think that um, is another example where, of of where they took that ability to to um, uh, overcome deficits to mm-hmm. to another level because they were the ones driving at least part of it mm-hmm. absolutely i mean you know if, if that play ends with the bills recovering which happens pretty frequently on, on fumbles yeah. like that you know it's oh that would have been great but we don't think about it again the vikings lose and you know nothing changes like they deserve credit for for taking advantage of that situation and and being like you said prepared mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. that specific situation um and i think how, how can I put this without being mean about Kirk yeah. Cousins? Um, you know, I feel like there's a certain conversation when we talk about football, know, whether it's talking about it locally or talking about it nationally, with, with Kirk Cousins where you say his name and a certain percentage of listeners, their brain just shuts off. They say, okay, I know everything I need to know about Kirk Cousins. And if I hear Kirk Cousins... I know exactly what he is. There's no yeah. reason to even consider a possibility where he's not that guy. Whether it's a primetime game, whether it's a playoff game, you know, w- w- once the competition gets tough, Kirk Cousins struggles. And what I found interesting about this game is that, like you said, you know, they were down 17 points in the second half. And, and I know that Kirk Cousins did not play perfectly in this game. I would not say he did. He obviously threw the two interceptions, um, mm-hmm. fumbled twice. So they, they didn't lose either of those fumbles. They, they fail on the snake with Cousins. So it wasn't Kirk Cousins' best game by any means. But if I told you the Bills were going to be up 27-10 with 17 minutes to go in this game, and it was Kirk Cousins on the road mm-hmm. in Buffalo, you know, in a game where it was snowing to start the game, uh, you would have given him no chance. Not, not you specifically, but people would have given him no chance. Like there's a subset of people who would have said, okay, this is the exact situation where Kirk Cousins gets exposed and found out where he has to make plays and he can't do it. And yes, Dalvin Cook ran for an 81-yard touchdown. Yes, Justin Jefferson made that catch uh, on fourth down to extend this game. But they won. And Kirk Cousins was a big reason why they won that game he was generally very good during that comeback and i think as much as we like to think that we know everything about quarterbacks after seeing them play for a year or two years or even five or six years i I do think that we're probably underestimating or underselling that kirk cousins can be good in stretches and can be a part of this team winning games against great football teams like they did it against the bills on sunday yes and that's been a pretty uh, similar pattern throughout the year you know their offensive pattern has been that they've started well in the, in the opening drive um with the scripted uh, plays and then they go through this lull um and then they mm. for the most part have kicked it into gear in the fourth quarter and the lulls a lot of that are the times when Cousins is not playing well, whether he's throwing those interceptions that, that you mentioned, or he's just, um, you know, getting overwhelmed by pressure or or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, I mean, I can think, you know, through this season in the fourth quarters where he's made the crucial throw, and they were like high, low percentage throws to to uh, you know that to complete. 
to make uh, to win games. You know, in in London, he throws like a forty yard go pattern to Jefferson to set up the winning field goal. Perfect mm-hmm. pass. Marshawn Lattimore was right there, and Jefferson catches it. Mm-hmm. Um, throws a game winning touchdown. You know, back to back twenty eight yards to KJ Osborne to beat. I think it was Detroit. Um, you know, similar mm-hmm. type situation in Chicago uh, against Chicago, um, and then and then also in uh, versus Arizona, and then. And then against Buffalo, he's making, you know, this fourth and 18 throw, you know, maybe not, you know, maybe probably should have been intercepted, but, um, you know, he got it there. You know, the, the, that initial, you know, throw to, to Jefferson on the, for the first touchdown, I thought was a really nice, you know, throw against a, uh, a covered look. And so he has long story short, like if you want to say, well, you know, how are they winning? Well, they're winning with all these fourth quarter comebacks. Who's leading these fourth quarter comebacks? It's mm-hmm. him. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's not him throwing screen passes or, or bubble, you know, bubble screens or bootlegs, you know, to the tight end. It's mm-hmm. like uh, difficult throws to receive the receiver who the entire defense is focused on. And so mm-hmm. he, I think he gets that credit. You know, he also, you know, takes the, the hits for, for his play, you know, in those lulls during the middle of games when they're falling behind or losing leads as they've done. Um, and you add it all up. And so, you know, I don't think statistically you can say it's, you know, one of his better seasons even. Certainly not his best at all, by any stretch, um, even though there had been the storyline that O'Connell would come in and bring him to another level. Mm-hmm. But what but what has happened is that he has been probably he and Jefferson have been the two critical reasons why they've been able to make all these fourth quarter comebacks. And so you have to give him that credit for, for the record. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I look at the numbers for Kirk cousins and like you said, this is maybe his worst year in yeah. a Vikings uniform by QBR. And I thought about, okay, you know, years past, especially when Kevin Stefanski was there, um, you know, they've really sort of unlocked, Kirk Cousins' best seasons by sort of ramping up the play action. And Kirk Cousins was okay without play action, but he was, you know, a, a force when he threw it play action. Mm-hmm. That isn't really the case this year. Like their play action, fine, but Kirk is not, you know, a, a top five quarterback off of play action by any means. It, it really has been, you know, it hasn't been that sort of, th- those sort of leverage that they've been able to pull in the past to get more out of Kirk have not really been the case this year. Um, and I think that's, really interesting and and you mentioned kevin o'connell and from your perspective i know you weren't covering the team as closely the past couple years before going back this year but you obviously live in the area you're familiar with um you know the dynamics shall we say of the prior regime sure there was and again i don't want to be mean how can i put this nicely about mike zimmer i mean mike zimmer is a very good defensive coach he was a very successful coach for a long time in minnesota but it always kind of felt like he was at odds with the offensive philosophy and the offensive infrastructure the Vikings had assembled. A coach who always wanted to run the ball, or at least wanted to run the ball more than most NFL teams, aligned with a quarterback making top-tier money and expensive wide receivers and and Mm -hmm. an offense Mm -hmm. that wanted to be more modern. And that led to a lot of friction. How, How different do you think it feels, or how different do you feel sort of listening to Kevin O'Connell, looking at the people in that locker room, listening to the people in that locker room. How different does it feel now in 2022 with a different coaching staff and a different regime in there versus the prior regime uh, and and their sort of opinions about how football should have been played on the offensive side of the ball? Yeah, I mean, it feels much different. Um, I would put it in in the context of, as you know, 
NFL teams, when they make coaching changes, often seek the 180-degree turnaround. If you had a, a defensive coach that you're firing, you now you're, you're looking for an offensive coach. Mm-hmm. You fired an offensive coach, then maybe you think, well, that's not as important, and you just look for the best leader, and it turns out to be a defensive coach. Mm-hmm. You had a, if you had a disciplinarian, you look for the, you know, an older disciplinarian, you look for the younger, quote-unquote, players coach. You know, um, whatever – you want something different than what you had, and I don't know if that's – you know, that, it's almost like a reflexive reaction on – part of owners i think and Mm -hmm. and that's what they've had here it's not much different than what you see in many coaching transitions but there's not um there's a big difference in the personalities of mike zimmer and kevin o'connell there's the defense versus offense there's Mm -hmm. the um, pass first versus run first justin jefferson has talked about um this is the first you know pass first offense he's been in Mm -hmm. um in the nfl which is crazy considering he had three thousand plus receiving (laughs) yards in his first two years, um, but he's on pace for a lot more, you mm-hmm. know, it's almost 2000 this year. Adam Thielen's talked about how this is the first time um, in the NFL he's been on a team that isn't always in attack mode is mm-hmm. what he calls it. Um, there's never a time when they're, when they're on offense, when they're not trying to drive to score a touchdown, you know, they're not just trying to, you know, uh, you know, consume clock. And so mm-hmm. it, it is much different um, schematically. It's much different, um, philosophically it's much different um you know i think you know to me i know there's been a lot reported about mike zimmer's demeanor and the, and sort of mm-hmm. his you know he wasn't he didn't put up with people and all that sort of thing i'm sure that that was part of it the other part is when you get to year eight of a coaching regime mm-hmm. uh, you know it's often prickly it's often yeah. you know things have often run their course um that's why most coaches don't make it that long mm-hmm. um and the Tomlins and the Belichicks and the Andy Reeds are by far the exceptions. Mm-hmm. And so I think they had certainly reached that, um, you know, just it, it was time to, to for everybody to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the benefit is that, you know, they have a, you know, the, the building is much looser as a result of relieving it of the, the stress that had built up and the strain that had built up over eight years. And so all of that is true. Um, I just, I just am always careful to like celebrate it as this unique um, outcome when it is often in the first year of a new regime, easy to pick out all the ways that something is different from the, the, the regime that just got fired. Yeah. And of course, I mean, winning cures all, right? Yeah. You know, if Mike Zimmer had stayed and they were eight and one, we'd be sitting here saying, oh, what geniuses they would just stay the course with Mike Zimmer and or know. reinvented himself or something right, like that. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. Mike, Mike Zimmer started having kombucha in the morning. And so that's changed his <laughs> offensive philosophy. You know, of course, yes. like, yeah. like, yeah. like winning is a cure all yeah. for, for everything. But at the same time, you got to figure that there are tangible changes. And like I said, it's not that Mike Zimmer is a bad coach or a bad person. Of course not. But things change. And right. even Andy Reid in Philadelphia is the classic example of, of how things can flip. Um, I'm going to read you a couple stats, and then we talked about the record, and the stats mean something to me. I don't know if they're the whole story, but okay. Vikings are 17th in Football Outsiders DVOA stat. They're just behind the Jaguars, who are 3-7. and seven. According to ESPN's Football Power Index, they're better, but they're only 10th. Not like they are where they stand by their record. So in terms of if not impressing the scoreboard, impressing the analytics or impressing the information that say they're a 
okay to good football team as opposed to a great football team if there's something they can do or they can improve on over the next eight weeks of the season to kind of live up to where their record is right now what do you think it is what what do you think they can improve on that would make them a better team on a play-by-play basis over the course of the remainder of the season um you know, I, I looked at it uh, at that at, at the bye week, and one of the things that they're just kind of starting to get going on, and maybe if they bu- continue to build on it, it will happen, is chunk plays. You know, mm-hmm. in the first six games before their bye, they were averaging almost nine plays per touchdown drive, um, it, and that was like way almost, I think, like third most in the league or fourth most in the league. They were working so hard to score touchdowns mm-hmm. um, because – Part of it was not a lot of downfield passing, um, and when they did, not always completing them. And they've come out of the bye, and it's pretty noticeable. Um, I want to say, um, like the, the their average air yards have gone from like six to nine or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and the reason that's happened is is O'Connell has basically said we have a superstar in Justin Jefferson, not mm-hmm. just an number one receiver not just a pro bowler we have a superstar i don't care if he's covered you know i don't care if um they they've you know leaned to safety that direction um if we think you know he has any chance to catch the ball let's push it Mm -hmm. to him and they've done that um and it's it created an interception in washington but it also created um it's created at least three touchdowns out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it created the the fourth and eighteen play, um, and if they keep doing that, I think they'll get to a point where they'll score more consistently, and they won't have those lulls that we're talking about, mm-hmm. which would allow them, you know, to win games easier. Um, frankly, you know, and not have to be down in the fourth quarter. So that's one thing that I know that they're already working on um, to do. There's some defensive things as well, but I know that's one big point of emphasis that is already st- the, the ball is already rolling on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I certainly think that there's lots of ways they can improve. You know, I think the during the bye week it sounded like they were going to get a little more aggressive with coverage. I felt like they were maybe a little passive with coverage, yep. at least from what you heard from people coming in that building. And um, it seems like that's been a positive for them since I know they gave up some big plays, uh, you know, here and there in the Bills game, but also, of course, came up with that big interception to win that game in overtime. Um, you know, I, I think there's still there's still ways they could improve. I mean, this is a new staff. It's a new playbook. It's a new regime um, in a lot of ways. So you figure they're going to get more comfortable with that as the season goes along. Um, even if this maybe way of winning is tough to sustain, they could improve their underlying level of play, and right, that could right. certainly put them in a position. And I think the the conversation I always find funny when it comes to teams advancing in the postseason is the idea that, oh, if you have Kirk Cousins or a mediocre quarterback, you can't win a Super Bowl. And maybe it's harder. I, I think it certainly is. But I think about a team that beat the Vikings in the playoffs a few years ago, which are the Philadelphia Eagles, where they had the one seed in the NFC after Carson Wentz got hurt. They they managed to do just enough at the end of the year to keep that number one seed. They got home field advantage. They had a first round bye. They got two home games and they narrowly beat the Falcons in a game where Foles was pretty bad for yeah. most of the game. And then of course they got the Vikings at home and they blow them out. And it's it's maybe they're a little lucky to get Case Keenum. 
Um, you know, you figure you're probably going to get a better quarterback in the NFC Championship game across from Nick Foles, but Nick Foles then goes in the Super Bowl and beats the Patriots. You know, mm-hmm. if you are the one seed and you have home field advantage, it reduces the amount of stuff you have to do or the difficulty of the stuff you have to do to win. And for the Vikings, even if they're not the number one team in football on a play-by-play basis, if they have enough wins, they're going to be the top seed in the NFC. And if that's the case, their path to the Super Bowl is much easier than it would be as the two or the three or the four. Yeah, for sure. And and you, you mentioned the Cousins thing. And I think you know that that and that's certainly something that's always discussed locally. It's like how is it, this guy? This guy's never going to take the Vikings to a Super Bowl. But when you and when you look in the history, there had you either have the the Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Tom Brady quarterback, or you have a guy who's playing at that level. And so whether it was Joe Flacco or whether it was mm-hmm. uh, Nick Foles or whether it was Trent Dilfer, and mm-hmm. and the question is, can Cousins do that? Um, and there's been stretches in the season, uh, this season and in other seasons, where he has gotten hot enough. You can say, well, it's possible that that he could, you know, for sure, he could certainly be the Nick Foles of 2022, or the mm-hmm. or the Joe Flacco of 2022, or the Trent Dilfer of 2022, or whatever name you want to throw in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's that's something to keep in mind, you know, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And you know, you don't have to be great for an entire season. You have to be yeah. great for for three games, or even in Nick Foles's case, two two games, two and a quarter games. I mean, that's yep. Kirk Cousins right. can do that at the yeah. very you know that that is definitely within the realm of possibility. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country. There is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8 S A V E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a Jets pizza location near you. Again, try Jets signature eight corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8SAVE. Jets pizza. Better because it has to be. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, I wanted to also ask you about a couple of officiating things because you're the officiating expert for us at ESPN. Mm-hmm. You are the one who breaks down uh, not just the calls, but also the like why a call was made or why a call was not addressed. And I think there are a few situations this week that I, I know I have questions about. I know fans have questions about. So I wanted to ask you as our expert about this topic. And I'll start with the Vikings game because there were two crazy calls or two surprising calls in the Vikings Bills games that don't really seem to add up. Um, the first yeah. one was on the final drive of regulation for the Bills. Gabriel Davis makes a spectacular, or looked like a spectacular catch on the sideline with 20 seconds left. It's ruled a catch. The game moves on. Nobody buzzed down to review this catch. The refs didn't set it for review. And 
as it turned out, after more replays, we saw it should have been incomplete. So should this have been avoided? And, and were you surprised that it wasn't addressed in the moment? Yeah, yes. I mean, the, I think the Bills did, you know, move a little quicker than they might have needed to because it was an out-of-bounds play. I think the clock was stopped. Um, but the Bills, you know, certainly didn't leave a lot of time for anybody to for the replay booth to buzz down. But absolutely, when there's, you know, when you're in that situation um, and there's a sideline play, um, they need to look at it before the, the play goes on. So, like, well, I know, I know, Walt Anderson was interviewed uh, by the pool reporter and said he has to, he wants to find out why they didn't buzz down. But New York can also buzz in. They're supposed to be watching too. There's somebody watching every game. Uh, in New York as well. And so it's a breakdown on multiple levels. Um, you know, there, there's just really, I mean, they just screwed it up. There was just, you know, there was, a, there was absolutely no explanation for why, um, you know, they come and tell us that the buzzer, uh, the, the, the fuse broke on the buzzer or something like that. Uh, there's no reason to understand why the referees on the field can't, you know, stop it and ask for, you know, the, the procedure has to count, start, from the booth. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason they're in the booth is because they, you know, it's quieter. They have, you know, there's, there's not as much chaos mm-hmm. and they have a better view. And so it was just a, they, it was just a mistake. You know, they, they, you know, there's no explanation for why they didn't buzz down except that they were asleep at the wheel. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would hope that it was a pretty exciting game to be honest with you. I hope that they were watching that as opposed to yeah. the first quarter of Rams Cardinals or whatever no, I, else was I'm going on pretty, at that time. Yeah. The, and, and you know, the, the the very initial you know view as you're watching live is you see you know the receiver from his back, mm-hmm. and so um, uh, you couldn't see the ball. But you know, usually, and and you know, there's, there's all the Vikings coaches and players in the sideline, and we're you know making the incomplete um, <laughs> sign. But of course, they always do that. Of course, so you can't rely on that. But in that situation, in a you know when the coaches can't challenge and when um, you haven't seen you know, the ball at all live because you're looking at his, his back, you have to, you know, even if it's just, you know, a minute or two, you know, or mm-hmm. you know, 30 seconds, you have to at least look at it. And, and they're trained to do that. They're trained to err on the side of caution um, in those situations. And they just didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we saw reports or you saw actually quotes from Bill Belichick this week saying, with regards to that play, you know, I, I want to be able to review calls within the final two minutes. I want to be able to challenge those calls yeah. within the final two minutes. He wants holding and past interference to be reviewable. He wants a very yeah. broad yeah. Uh, idea of what is reviewable with coaches' challenges. Now, I, we went through the PI experiment. I think we saw how that could go poorly um, or how that could be not administered very well. Yeah. But in terms of the final two minutes, why is it that the NFL has that sort of window where coaches can't challenge? And do you think there's any appetite to change that? I think that they do it. It's that way. It's not to prevent the coaches from challenging. It's that it's it's to prevent the situation of a coach not having a challenge mm-hmm. and not being able to overturn something that was obvious simply because he had run out of challenges Mm -hmm. Um, and and not, and not to feel compelled to save his challenges for those crucial moments. Um, So the reason that only the booth can do it is to expand the past, the the potential numbers Mm -hmm. of reviews and to prevent, because those are the most important parts of the games and to Mm -hmm. prevent um, a situation like we saw happening where an obvious 
thing uh, happened that needed to be overturned, but because of uh, a coach was out of challenges, well, nothing we can do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I hope what Belichick's saying is that he would like the to 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 layer over you know the current situation and allow coaches to also to challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to having the replay you know booth pick up any in, in the two minutes, so I don't think it's like a strategic thing. I think it's to avoid. Um, it's to av- avoid strategy having to come into play into fixing obvious mistakes in those final two minutes that are the most important uh, moments of the uh, of the game. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, it does. And, and you know, I guess there's that scenario where coaches could save their challenges and then use them as de facto timeouts. Yeah, that too. Yep. You know, um, yep. and and maybe you know, there's certainly there's certainly like sort of unforeseen conflicts or foreseen conflicts that could pop up. But, um, you know, I, I, I always wonder, like we have Dan Graziano, our colleague on the other side of this debate where it's just, you know, why do we even have replay? Why do we have review? Um, yeah. it, it's, it slows the game down. It makes moments less meaningful. And he has me, you know, mm-hmm. certainly we want to find that balance of, of having calls be correct, but also not having the game reduced to a series of replay reviews. Um, right. You know, do you, when when you take the temperature of people in the league or, or you know listen to people in the league talking about this stuff like do you think generally people are pretty happy with where the sort of usage of replay stands right now um no no one's ever happy with it. <laughs> um they always want more or less uh and it's always and seriously even people with team that aren't affiliated with teams it's always mm-hmm. you know um or specific teams it's always uh you know based on what happened this most recent time and and like you know this is this is a travesty i can't believe the vikings got screwed we got to fix this and so like there's there's no one ever happy with with the state of it um but the the inertia of the league is more uh, honestly more in dan on dan's end of the spectrum uh dan graziano's in that they most of the traditionalists and most of the people who are in, have decision making roles are very wary of having games bogged down um, by uh, replay. Very wary about whether you're improving it or just changing it. Um, very wary about having two more sets of eyes to potentially make mistakes. You know, really, um, than than just to fix it, and uh, and also uh, a very against the idea of using replay to reofficiate plays, which is why there's no, no penalties can be reviewed um, except for PI that one year. They, mm-hmm. they just want it used for these very objective things like was the knee down? It was the ball over the plane. Did he have control of the ball um, before he hit the ground? Um, they are really, there's really um, not a lot of appetite once you dig into it um, for people to be judging whether that was pass interference or judging whether that was offensive holding or judging whether the hit to the helmet was forcible or mm-hmm. incidental. Um, and so that's really the, the friction of why they can't really uh, solve this is that there's not um, a lo- enough people who support the ideas of expansion that even when they take a throw a, a line in the water and try to, f- see what happens with pass interference, mm-hmm. it turns into that, to the fiasco that it was. And so 
I, you know, but then you talk to coaches and they're like, we should, there should just be somebody down up, you know, can buzz down and say, Hey, that was a hold and mm-hmm. that's it. And, and that kind of ignores all the nuance in what's a hold and what isn't a hold. And, you know, what, what are, what are they letting them get away with in this game and what are they not? Mm-hmm. And like, it's, you know, most of these calls are a lot more subjective than people realize. And, uh, the idea of having a sky judge, um, you know, ideally makes a lot of sense i wouldn't Mm -hmm. mind seeing them try that but like the idea of that person then having to to re you know to rejudge Mm -hmm. all these subjective things makes it very complicated it doesn't mean it can't be done but um i think most of the people in decision making roles in the nfl look at that and say that's too hard we can't do that okay let me play devil's advocate here and this is unfair to you you this is not your policy i'm gonna i'm gonna give you two calls from last week that I, I, I cannot believe, uh, I, I would say in a scenario where there was a side judge, this would be pretty hard to dispute. One of them was the Bills-Vikings game, and you probably know where I'm going. The, Vi- the Bills had 12 men on the field yeah. for a first and goal run in the overtime, and it wasn't one of those plays where you have a guy running off the field. It wasn't as if there was a guy who was snuck on the sideline. It wasn't like it was subtle. There were just 12 defenders on the field for the Bills. It was just mm-hmm. an 11 on 12 play. It's funny, if you go to Next Gen, um, you know, they have 12 helmets on the field because it's 12 guys and there's 12 players <laughs> listed. Um, and the Vikings still stopped the ball. I mean, they still ran into a loss yeah. Yeah. and there was no flag. Um, and then the next day, you go to that Eagles Commanders game and there was that Dallas Goddard fumble where he gets his face mask basically grabbed he gets pulled yeah. to the ground by the face mask gets injured on the play suffers what's going to be a shoulder injury that's going to keep him out a few weeks it sounds like he gets injured he fumbles the commanders recover is there a a universe where you think in the next few years plays like this where it is very concrete where it's 12 men on the field where it's a a a obvious you know letter of the law every single person watching the game would agree that was a face mask call an, an appetite to change that where maybe those calls are are sort of judged by a sky judge in the next few years or is that still subject not maybe like the 12 man one but the, the face mask is stuff like that still subjective enough that the league is worried about having that be sort of educated after the fact well it's interesting because I those would be the plays that are the obvious ones. Although on the twelve men on the field, I'll say real quick, like there's three officials on the field who are in mm-hmm. charge of counting the defense oh, no. for every play. And then in the replay booth, those guys are also supposed to count too. Mm-hmm. So like you could be an NFL, you know, executive and say, I'll we should one of those five people should be able to to get that right. We shouldn't have to put a sky judge up there to count people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we need to get that right. But that said, like, then there's also the Goddard play. And there's other plays where it's like obvious and like you should be able to snap your fingers and say, nope, change that, move on. Um, I think what I always hear, I know what I always hear from people is those are the easy ones. What do mm-hmm. you do when it's the the level below that? When, um, you know, somebody reached out and to tackle Dallas Goddard and his hand, you know, hit, touched the, the face mask and it twisted a little bit, but not mm-hmm. a lot. You know, sometimes that's called on the field. Sometimes it's not. Um, if you have that sky judge up there, he's obligated to be looking at everything and, and adjudicating everything. And like, where do you draw the line of like what's obvious and what isn't? And they don't trust themselves to be able to 
to um, put that structure in and have it be, I guess, reasonable um, to where it's only, you know, that, the easy ones are the easy ones. What do you do when it's it's the you start getting into levels of gray, and that's those are the things they worry about. Um, are they overthinking it? Maybe. Um, are we not thinking through it enough? Possibly. But that's where the where the you know yin and the yang always um, hit each other. Is right there. Is not you know whether a sky judge could you know prevent a defense from having twelve people on the field, but um, what about all the other times um, and where do you draw the line and how deep should they be going into judgment to decide whether um, a flag should have been thrown or not? And so those are the obstacles, you know, people should know those are the obstacles that these guys are thinking through. And it's why uh, we don't have the things that we probably want um, as it relates to, to replay and sky judge and officiating. Uh, I'm not saying that those aren't that those are insurmountable obstacles or even obstacles at all, and maybe they're the result of people overthinking. But that's kind of where they're at on it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess the frustrating part is that it's never going to be There's never going to be a technology or a rule system that is going to make everyone happy. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, yeah, and I, and I think the hard part. Not to, sorry to interrupt. No, please. But I, I think the hard part is that we, you know and this is not just NFL or even pro sports. Like we just have a general expectation of, of, of officials getting call all their calls. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we don't quite have that expectation for player performance. We accept, we don't like mistakes, you know, especially if it's for our team or for our fantasy team, but we know that players make mistakes in every game. We know that coaches make mistakes in mm-hmm. every game, but we have this expectation that officials never do. And I always look at team sports as, being decided by three teams, you know, the home team, the visiting team and the officials Mm -hmm. and, and each of them do things and don't do things, make decisions and don't make decisions that affect the outcome of the game. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, it's more often going to be one of the the first two teams, but sometimes the officials impact the outcome of games Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's their mistakes. And so we, you know, and that maybe this takes me more to Graziano and that like, that's, you know, you hate to say that that's part of the game and you hate, I hate when Roger Goodell says that, you know, you know, that's part of the beauty of, of, of team sports is, you know, is, is when, you know, sometimes the officials, you know, make mistakes or whatever, but it really is. I mean, it like, and nobody, like nobody is willing to accept that as part of their like paradigm for, for team sports that like, that's, you know, you don't want to see, you know, Dallas Goddard get his head almost ripped off um, mm-hmm. without any penalty, but like, every game there's something like that and so like whether it's not a i wouldn't even view it as like lowering expectations i would be viewing it as accepting the reality of the way these games are competed at all levels Mm -hmm. um all the way down to kids sports Mm -hmm. you know absolutely so like and maybe that makes it easier to rationalize that you know and inexcusable errors happen but even you know there was you know players and the vikings and bills made inexcusable errors in those games and Mm -hmm. Um, we can get into the idea of whether they're more accountable for those than officials are on a week-to-week basis. But um, it is part of what we see in every game of every level of every sport. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know, you're very good at your job. But I know, as <laughs> from my perspective, I know even the people covering the game sometimes make mistakes. So that's yeah. just the reality of the situation. And, and yeah. I, I always laugh when I, you know, I, I hear a fan or a commentator talk about a game where there's been very few penalties, and I hear, "Oh, they're playing a clean game." No, they're not. They're playing the same game they normally play. Just stuff isn't getting called. Like there's yeah. always, you know. Or, or, or that that thing where people complain about, oh, there's too many penalties in this game. You know, Tom Brady always complains about yeah. stuff like that. Like, yeah. I'm sick of seeing the flag. Like, yeah. the alternative is just that people are going to commit penalties and get away with it. Oh, and yeah. that's, that's fine if you want to have it be that way. But, like, you know, there's always going to be that balance. You don't want to see a game where people can do whatever they want. You don't want to see a game where every single, you know, ticky-tack thing is getting penalized. You want to strike that balance, and that balance is different for different officiating crews on different days and different situations. And depending on what the league wants to have officials focus on, like there's so many variables that go into it that there's never going to be this, you know, and and, and again, people's perspective is different too. You know, I think if you're a Saints fan, you might want more aggressive pass interference uh, calls (laughs) than you would if you're, you know, a fan of a different team. Like like it it all, it's this big soup of, of, of variables that go into how a game is officiated and, you know, it can get better, can always get better, but, but there's never going to be a, a paradigm where everyone is going to be thrilled. No, it, it isn't. And it's, and it's very emotional based, um, mm-hmm. you know, based on what your team affiliation is or your, your pocket, your wallet's affiliation is for that particular game. And I know, you know, Mike, Mike Florio from pro football talk and some others have make the point that as, as sports gambling becomes more um, uh, prevalent and legal across the country, that there's a greater obligation to, you know, to fix these mistakes, if for no other reason than to continue the um, expectation that these games are on the up and up and that, you know, if you have an obvious mistake that doesn't get fixed, that there isn't any suspicion that that's because of any other reason other than, uh, you know, incompetence, I guess, mm-hmm. um, because that that's, you know, and, and Goodell has often, Roger Goodell has often said that the most important thing that they have is the, um, is the presumption of fair play that this, these games are being decided by the, the, the players on the field and the coaches on the field and not uh, behind the scenes. And so um, that, you know, that is, becomes a, another level of, of, you know, where they, how far they need to be able, they need to go in terms of getting things fixed uh, or officiated right in the first place. But um, I, to, to, to bet on a game, to, to play fantasy football, 
to root for a team or a game under the expectation that uh, there won't be any officiating mistakes that influence the outcome is probably unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Kevin, if people want to check out your coverage of the Vikings, want to check out your coverage of the NFL's officiating week to week universe, all things NFL, where can people do that? Um, we probably the easiest way is through Twitter. Twitter's still working uh, at <laughs> Seaford uh, ESPN. Uh, I post all my stuff there. We also obviously post it on uh, ESPN.com on the uh, NFL page and on the Vikings page as well. Well, we I assume Twitter will still be active by the time we publish this later today, but <laughs> hopefully it continues to be the case. But Kevin, it's always a pleasure to have you on. Always inform us uh, with, with your knowledge of the league as a whole. So thanks so much for hopping on today. Hey, thanks for having me, Bill. All right, thanks so much to my guest today, ESPN's Kevin Seifert. Does excellent work covering the Vikings for us, and I learn every week about officiating from what he writes when there are curious officiating decisions around the NFL. But hope you guys enjoyed the conversation. Hope you guys enjoyed the look into, you know, how calls are made and what people are thinking in the NFL. Definitely different from how we react to stuff on the outside for sure. Um, we have more coming next week. I think I might do a mailbag next week as we approach Thanksgiving. So get your questions ready. But until then, hope you guys enjoy week 11. And thanks so much for listening.